Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Wednesday, July the 19th, and we're going to be talking about the two Americas, a tale of two Americas in many ways. And so I wanted to lead off with a little thought from Charles Dickens. Uh, We'll get that started in just one second. First, I want to say thanks to our sponsors, and specifically, I want to say thanks to Catholic Vote. Um, catholicvote.org. You can go there and sign up for the loop. This is the email service I like to look at every morning when I first get up. Uh, You can see it on the screen right now. It is an easy way to keep yourself informed, keep yourself in the loop. Just catholicvote.org. Type in your email address, type in your zip code, and it will get you rolling with a, a handy email each morning, new service stuff, And uh, they are keeping the lights on here at the Seraphim household. They are also keeping us informed. So go ahead and do that yourself. Go sign up, get looped in with the loop by Catholic Vote. And we're very appreciative of them. I also want to say thanks to my friends over at Patriot Coolers. You know what the best thing about a Patriot Cooler is? Part of it is the fact that it keeps your beverage nice and cold or hot. But the best part, in my feeling, is that you're walking around with something that says Patriot on the side of it. And they have donated almost $400,000 to take care of vets in this country, people that have been keeping our freedom. They are, uh, they're giving over $370,000 that every single time you buy something from them using promo code Kyle, that's K-Y-L-E, promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, gets you 10% off, free shipping over 50 bucks, and a portion of that sale also supports veterans and their uh, their needs for mobility. They go and they, they send these big checks. They got these sweepstakes style checks that will allow you to, uh, to help kind of increase the mobility of those who have served overseas and uh, people like our buddy Jason, uh, Eric Jason, who's in the chat right now. Those kind of guys get a little hand up from our friends over at Patriot Coolers. Again, promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, and you can uh, get that free shipping over 50 bucks if you spend just a couple bucks. A couple of great products there. I've actually got mine right in front of me right now. Ryan, I've got my, I've got to send you one of these things, but I've got uh, the Patriot Tumbler sitting here in OD green. I've got my Catholic vote coffee mug sitting here. I'm, I'm like pretty, pretty merched up right now. Uh, folks, let's dig right into this because this is going to get rowdy. I want to start with a little quotation from Charles Dickens. This is published in 1859. You tell me if this doesn't ring true today. Uh, and it says, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. Again, written in 1859 by Charles Dickens. This is one of those pieces that tends to resonate with folks uh, because it was the story of London and Paris just before the French or on the eve of the French Revolution. In many ways, I think this country is having its own revolution. It is having an experience of high crime, of issues financially, and many of them seem to be brought on by an administration at this point that has abandoned the will of the people. We're going to be talking about that experience in America. There are two Americas at this point. One of them is rural, places like where I live out in Liberty Hill, Texas, 
where people still wave to each other in the neighborhood. Many of you may live in neighborhoods like that. And then there's an urban experience. And we've got a couple of videos here. I want to get, kind of give you a taste of it. We're going to play a couple of videos. I might talk over a little bit of them because some of them are just sound effects. You're going to miss them if you're not watching our Rumble channel. And uh, we're going to get into that commentary. And then it's a timely moment, but Jason Aldean has just released a new song, which we'll play a little bit of too. And I think it's going to get in your head. Uh, almost a million views so far in the first 12 hours or so that it's been released. So uh, Ryan, if we can pull up video number one, let's go right into that. This is a scene from Cleveland. And this is a kind of a picture of the lawlessness that we're seeing out there. Go ahead and uh, play that whenever you're ready, my friend. All right, so th those of you who are not watching on our Rumble channel, what you are missing, there it is. There is a, uh, uh, looks like a Hyundai, a black Hyundai. This is in Cleveland on a main street. And what you're hearing is some squealing tires. These people are driving, uh, the, the police estimate, uh, close to 100 miles an hour. You've got two young black men that are hanging out the window of the driver and the passenger side doors, zooming up and down this street, which apparently is a very busy street. And you're seeing police officers just walking after them on street, on foot. There's nothing they can do about this. They actually have a stand down policy. There's a little bit more of this coming back, and we're going to hear some radio traffic in just a moment. Uh, these guys are flying probably in excess of 100 miles an hour past police cars. At least five police cars are zoomed past. It's pretty incredible stuff, uh, but it, it kind of indicates when you let petty crime go loose, 9636 28 radio. That one of the suspect cars might have just took off at maybe 100 miles an hour. Yeah, it's going to Happy, happy departing at 0151. Radio copy. It looked like the black either Kia or it was a black car, a four-door. Two guys ran out the back window. Yeah. So you hear him say they're both waving guns. That's pretty troubling. And uh, going in excess of 100 miles an hour. Apparently, this is part of a, a TikTok challenge. All right, looks like they're coming back. There you go. You can hear them flying back. Like I said, both of these kids are sitting right, on the sides of the uh, the door. They're, oh, they're hanging out the windows. They just went down the uh, roadway. They're probably turning back down Superior. So you can kill it right there. So yeah, you can hear the uh, the police officer saying the passenger is recording. What we see is that there's this young black kid hanging out. He's masked up. He's got a mask over his nose like a ninja. He's wearing a hoodie and he's carrying his cell phone while he is recording himself. Um, like I said, butt cheeks sitting on the edge of the windowsill. Incredibly dangerous. But like uh, Bill T just said in the chat, there is a theory called window plane, window pane policing, which is to say that you go after the small stuff and it keeps people from doing the larger and more dangerous crimes. We're going to be talking about that specifically, actually. But uh, th that video is one example. Th there's no reason to chase these kids. They're actually going to probably end up killing themselves or somebody else if they're chased. And so the police are sort of paralyzed. And, and politically, they know that if they were to chase this person down and try to protect the public, they're not going to be defended by their city council, oftentimes by their by their police chief, because we've got this politicized version in American cities where they're going to just tolerate this kind of stuff. Uh, let's pull up the second video. I think uh, that's, this one speaks for itself. There may not be enough audio for it to matter. This actually comes courtesy of Libs of TikTok. So, Ryan, if you want to play this, I'll talk right over the top of it. We're going to be looking at some pretty sad footage. If you're 
watching on Rumble, you can see if you're not, what you're going to hear is uh, uh, these are a bunch of locked up cabinets. These are all of the goods that you'd be able to go to in a, a, a little supermarket store in San Francisco. Everything is behind glass. All of the frozen foods are behind chain locks. All the cosmetics, all of the, the the food products, even the frozen foods are literally locked up so people can't come in and steal them. And anything that is not locked up, we are seeing, is just picked over. They're not restocking it. it it's it's kind of shocking. There are places in Europe that have looked like this for a long time. But this is pretty new for America. And again, that last shot here of that of that padlock going right over the top. Just holding the freezer sections closed. I mean, they're, they're protecting Eggo waffles and rising crust pizzas. Pretty sad stuff. We can drop that thing down. So that's that's kind of the low end of it, right? Uh, when we start thinking about uh, people stealing cars, that was a stolen Hyundai, uh, Hyundai Sonata. Apparently, there's this TikTok challenge where you go out and steal it and then film yourself like an idiot driving around until you die. The second thing is that we're seeing this in San Francisco. So now Cleveland, San Francisco. The final uh, clip that I'm going to show you is what happened in Brooklyn the other day. This is uh, where my wife grew up. This is a little neighborhood that's not too far away. Let's go ahead and play the Brooklyn clip. And uh, this is where this kind of stuff ends, unfortunately. Yo, Faridun, you got Faridun. So that was a 15-year-old boy on the street in Brooklyn, New York, having CPR done, bystanders watching him. You can see he was shot in the buttock. He was shot in the back. He ended up uh, dying. They're working uh, CPR there. The paramedics and the cops are doing the best they can with an AED. And that's a, a child, a child that was killed in random gunfire in broad daylight. For those of you who are not watching on the show, you're missing video of literally broad daylight. It is perfectly you know, high noon. The sun is out and shining. There are people watching this poor young boy just expire in front of them on the, stri on the sidewalk, on the streets. Uh, having been part of scenes like that, it's pretty incredible. And the other thing is this, folks, if you see someone like that, you see the cops doing CPR, uh, number one, that could have been initiated by bystanders. But number two, put that person in a car and take them to a hospital faster than than waiting around, especially when they are down and out like that. That's just my little PSA. They've done significant studies that says that uh, a, a passenger that is transported to the hospital has a much better chance of survival than waiting around for some sort of first responder on the street. So pretty horrible stuff. That is the sort of the two cities. We're going to bring up a uh, a web page here that this kind of will help you guys understand. I think this is the, uh, the Hey Jackass page, if you would. Folks, this is just Chicago. This is just another instance. Like I say, I, this is one of my, one of the bellwethers that I've been looking at for quite a long time. And if you look at how recently someone is shot, basically the average is they go anywhere from two hours and 52 minutes is, is the average time that it takes between people being shot in the city of Chicago. I'm just going to say that again, every two hours and 52 minutes on average, somebody is shot in Chicago and every 13 hours and 40 minutes, somebody is murdered. That is just a shocking amount of time. 
During the worst parts of 2020, when there was a homicide spike of 30%, we saw that go less than 12 hours. There were an average of two people per day being murdered in Chicago, obviously not all at the same time. And they're, and they're not like clockwork, but an average of two people every single day, every 24 hour period were being murdered. This is not an acceptable scenario. And yet when you go out to places like where I live, this is totally unfamiliar to you. This is not how it goes down. People wave to their neighbors. They uh, have friendly conversations at the Ace Hardware like I go to. And so we are dealing with a, uh, a, a totally split version of America. And I think that's what's given rise to the song by Jason Aldean. We're going to play you just about one minute of it. I think it's catchy enough to listen to. So I hope you appreciate this song. If you want to go out and support Jason, I've met him. Uh, I know he's friends with Cash Patel or his his staff are. I sat and had a, a Coors Light with those guys um, when I was at America Fest in, uh, what was it, December of last year. And they seem to be really good people. He hires you know former Special Forces types that are patriots and, and Americans. And so anyway, this song I think is poignant at this exact moment that uh, there is a very big difference between the urban areas where you've just seen all this sort of chaos, everything from stealing cars and locked up food to, to homicide on the streets in broad daylight, and what happens around maybe where you live. Go ahead and play that clip, if you would, of Jason Aldean here. This is called... Try that in a small town. That my granddad gave me They say one day They're gonna round up Well that shit might fly in the city Good luck Try that in a small town See how far You make it down the road Around here we take care Of our own You cross that line It won't take long for you to find out I recommend you don't So try that in a small town, new song by Jason Aldean. I think that is a kind of a, an interesting theme right now. If you're not watching on the, on the channel, what you're missing is a, a lot of visuals between uh, people that are in small towns that are, that are, um, you know, holding patriotic American flags that are doing the things that you'd expect walking around that are standing up for, uh, for people in a convenience store. You've got a, a young Marine there who was um, out of the service and, and attacked a guy that came in with a gun trying to, to rob a liquor store. And then you see sort of the BLM, the Antifa riots. They're not all the same thing, but they were uh, pretty violent in 2020 and 2021. And many of us experienced that in different parts of America. So there are, in fact, two Americas, I think. Um, and, and there are, in fact, two different sides of the political narrative. There are two different stories that are being pushed right now, I think. And, uh, and I'm going to share this. I didn't, I didn't put these articles up, so it's just me reading, if you would. But there's a, a group called the Brennan Center for Justice, which is kind of a left-wing organization, a left-wing uh, advocacy group, if you will. They're a think tank out of DC. And they have this thing called the myths and realities, understanding the recent trends in violent crime. I'm looking at this. This comes from May of this year, originally published in July of last year. And what they're basically doing is excusing a lot of the violence that's going on and acting, you know, in many ways, gaslighting people that it's not happening. 
they tried to say, well, in fact, there was, you know, a dramatic rise in crime in 2020, but, you know, a lot of that has trickled off and it's not really happening anymore. And more than 75% of those murders were committed with a firearm. Remember, you just heard Jason Aldean talk about they want to come and take your firearms and they do. Um, but why is that? Because they have to demonize the gun. They can't demonize the people that are involved in this thing. So they, they paint this one sort of rosy statistic. And of course, this is because Biden is in office and this is a leftist progressive think tank. And then you go to another side of the coin. This is the American Cornerstone Institute, which is essentially uh, further to the right. And they have an article from October of last year just talking about how crime has become a new pandemic. It sweeps across America. It's unstoppable. It's random. It's unprovoked. It has no rhyme or reason. It stokes fear amongst the masses. Major cities are reporting an increase of 50% in homicides since 2019, 36% in aggregated assaults. You've got New York City, which we've seen many of the things on there. Some of it is the disproportionate um, the disproportionate enforcement actions. They've decided to let go a, a young black man who was stabbing somebody in self-defense, even though he may have been illegally carrying that knife. And then you see a young Marine, 24-year-old white kid, um, young man, rather, who was uh, charged and indicted because he choked out and eventually accidentally killed, I would say. And I say accidentally because he did perform life-saving measures on there. He tried to get this uh, this sort of lunatic street performer that does Michael Jackson videos 10 years ago, but today is running around threatening people on the subway. And he's choked out, eventually dies, and they charge the young white kid. So they are, in fact, painting this, this two Americas. They are dividing the people because we are seeing two different sides of the media reporting. We're seeing two different sort of coverages. And in many ways, they are actually cherry picking statistics in order to cover for their preferred party. A lot of this stuff should be very concerning. Um, you can look at the economist right now, which I pulled up again. You're not looking at this, but I'm looking at their stuff. I just typed in crime in America and got an article, uh, sort of the United States and the economist page. And what are they covering when you type in crime in America? They're talking about a Hollywood writer strike. I'm sure that's a really big deal that we're not going to be able to watch our shows. But just because we can't watch our shows doesn't make it okay that there's a kid dying on the street in Brooklyn. They talk about the growing power of the veto in Midwestern Democrats, whatever the heck that's about, how uh, judges are in, in short supply because Americans are not getting their day in court. I guess that's somewhat uh, interesting. But you're just seeing all the, they're talking about porn laws. They're talking about abortion. They're not talking about the violence that's happening in the streets. And so you may wonder, you say, hey, well, what's happening in the, the, uh, the federal sphere? Because we pay an awful lot of money in taxes. There's an awful lot of money that we put towards this stuff. So... Where, where's our federal dollars going? Ryan, if you'll pull up the um, the number three, this is the post-millennial article. And what do we see? This is what's happening with our federal dollars. The Fed sees Trump advisors' phones in January 6th uh, investigation, right? So this comes from post-millennial. Uh, our friends over there, Andy No and Libby. This one was actually written by Hannah Nightingale out of D.C. It just says the Biden administration has effectively issued a third indictment and arrest for Joe Biden's number one political opponent, who's largely dominating him in the race for presidency. We all know that Trump is basically crushing Biden on polls because, because Biden's doing objectively a bad job. He's not doing a good job as president. And so now what do we have? We have this this third, third version of the banana republic going down. I'm going to quote the article here. It says, federal investigators have reportedly seized the phones of advisors to 2024 GOP frontrunner Donald Trump as part of an investigation into the agenda of January 6th. Now, many of you may have seen the uh, the episode. If you haven't, I highly recommend you go back and watch the American Rorschach test, which is essentially my take on January 6th. It's a lot more nuanced than many people. January 6th, in my opinion, was a Rorschach test. It was a thing that anybody can go and look at and they can see based on their interpretation of the events, 
what they see in the rest of America. It decides, it tells you in many ways what America you are living in. Are you living in the rural America where I want to be? Are you living in the urban America where you're getting this mainstream media narrative that's coming from all leftist sources? The American Rorschach test is such a critical way. It's a critical tool now in understanding how this works. And that's why we've had people on, including uh, Sean Vitzman, who... Um, who, who was there? You know, we've had we've had uh, Steve Baker on who was there and their takes are much more nuanced than what you're hearing from the mainstream media. But unfortunately, we had this this attempt to smear Trump about January 6th. And I think all of us have seen the videos of him saying he wanted people to peacefully you know, make their voices heard. And yet that is not the that is not the way that they are pursuing this case. The idea that they are going to try to indict him over something, regardless of what he was doing in the background, it's, it's totally irrelevant. The public facing things that anybody would have the ability to see, the public facing statements he's made were all the same. They were that people needed to go over there. And when he told them to go home, they actually canceled him on January 6th. Many people, myself included, were not involved in Twitter at that time. I guess that's when the big purge happened. But they actually removed the sitting president from one of the largest free speech uh, or potentially free speech communication platforms, Twitter. He was taken down uh, and and his message of telling followers to go home, which was one of the big ways that he was dis disseminating messages as a president. That was how he spoke directly to the American people. It went away. On that day, it disappeared. So now we've got this thing. Basically, there's a letter received from the special counsel, which is a guy named Jack Smith, who is a political operative, but uh, masquerading as a nonpartisan, if you were to listen to the, the mainstream media. And they say that he's a target of the January 6th grand jury investigation. Uh, there's four days for them to report to a grand jury, which means that uh, they're asking Trump to come and testify. He's being summoned there, subpoenaed uh, to speak. And uh, as as those who are familiar with this sort of thing said, it, it most likely means that there will be an indictment and an arrest on these grounds. So now we have Alvin Bragg going after him for hush money payments that Trump didn't actually do himself. And they're going to try to uh, smear this as some sort of campaign finance violation, even though that theoretically is a federal issue. They made it local. They extended the statute of limitations. And then they're going to they've already you know indicted him on that. Now he's also facing something um, in Miralago in, in Florida. So we've seen that happen. And then potentially he'll deal with something in Georgia, since we've seen that very unbiased jury for woman come forward and talk about how she was so excited about wanting to swear him in. And they're going to do the same thing um, for this January 6th thing. Now, part of the reason they're going to do the January 6th piece is because they're going to be able to do it in D.C. And that's basically they may not be able to get him in Florida, but uh, I would say that in D.C. he's widely hated because it's a 95 percent Democrat place. And those who are not Democrats, I'm, I feel like fit into this sort of never Trumper sort of sphere. Very few Trump hats you see walking around in Washington, D.C. As someone who used to work in there, I can tell you that pretty, pretty clearly. Um, so that's that's what the Fed's doing with our money right now. They're they're going to investigate Donald Trump. What else are they doing? Let's go up to uh, topic number four, if you would. The Washington Times article, Ryan. We'll pop this thing up. The Washington Times has an article right now that's entitled Vanishing Act. DHS admits that 40% of catch and release migrants disappeared. Uh, this is a piece by Stephen Dynan. This was written yesterday. It just says immigration and customs, customs enforcement officials failed to deliver immigration court summonses to more than 80% of the illegal immigrants caught and released under the Biden administration's quote-unquote parole program. Uh, just before the end of Title 42, which we all know has, has created a surge at the border, uh, just a, an incredible amount of people going on there. We'll actually have Sav Hernandez come back and talk about it again, but if you haven't seen Sav, uh, we did an episode with her where she came and sat in studio. Definitely check that one out. And you'll see uh, what she had to say about being down there. They're saying that more than 40% of the migrants have never checked in at all. Um, and in fact, 
that uh, when ICE issued a notice to appear, that's the immigration summons, more than two thirds of these cases, they just didn't show up. They don't show up at all. Um, that means that they have a success rate of about 18% for the test population that they're they're measuring. We have a district judge here saying that the poor rate of, uh, of confirmed returns of people showing up, um, it does confirm his earlier ruling that parole was an ineffective way to enforce immigration laws. And of course it is, because when you send people into America that have no legal status to be here, they make a quick asylum claim and then they don't show up. And that is sort of the way it goes. And then there's no there's no means to track them down. There's no interest in tracking them down because they have a flood of more people coming in. So our federal government has given up the autonomy of the borders. By the way, much to the chagrin of those who work at uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, much to the, to the chagrin of the Border Patrol agents. I was reading this morning on Twitter that the, uh, the Border Patrol's National Union, they do have a union, and they're actually a pretty good union as far as unions go for federal government stuff. Not a huge fan of having them in general, but those guys basically advocate and say that Mayorkas has, has shirked his responsibility and they're calling for his impeachment over and over. They're saying this should be impeachable grounds for what's going on. Why are we not impeaching this guy who has decided to completely abandon his post and has just abandoned the American people to a, a sort of a lawless state? In fact, if you were to go on Twitter right now, if you were to go onto a Google search and, and search for the trending topic of lawlessness, I think that's what you would uh, that's what you would find. Folks, our government continues to ask for more money. They're asking for more money in tax revenue. They're asking for more of your paycheck. And even places like my former employer, the FBI, is asking for another couple billion dollars so they can build the largest federal headquarters in the history of America, bigger than the Pentagon, right? And yet, how about this? This is reporting from July 18th. This just came out yesterday. Uh, one of my buddies who's a federal employee sent this over and just said, Pretty bizarre. It says many headquarters buildings are sitting largely empty. This is a report that comes from the uh, the General Administration's office. Is that what it's called? The GO the GAO. Um, what they said is they did a, a complete a complete survey of all of the things that were going on in the federal government, and they determined that 17 of the 24 headquarters buildings for federal departments and the large agencies are using less than 25% of their capacity on average. Let's just take a second to think about that. So 17 of 24, the vast majority of our federal agencies have enormous headquarters buildings. If you've ever been to DC, that's exactly how it looks. 25% or less of their capacity are being used. They are sending people home for telework. And that's, that's essentially what happened. What they determined is that all the people that could never telework suddenly were able to telework because of all this COVID crisis. They had to pretend like there was such a big thing going on that they actually, they, they gave up their, their hold on employees working in the offices. And, and as I've said many times, the average federal employee is like a middle-aged woman between the ages of 40 and, and 55 years old. She's sitting at a desk, not doing anything, um, ignoring you for a long lunch break with a blanket over her, her, uh, her lap. And she's got a space heater underneath. And she's very, very upset if you happen to come in and ask questions during her lunch break. But moreover, she's upset if you ask her to do her job and you have to thank her profusely. This is the way that I experienced the federal government in a dozen different agencies when I went in. It didn't matter whether you're going to Department of Energy, whether you're going to Department of Justice, whether you're going into the Office of Personnel Management, uh, if you went over to these weird little semi-government agencies like the Broadcast Board of Governors, which is uh, part of the State Department's funding, and they do the Voice of America. That's full of spies, by the way. So you go in there. There's all kinds of intelligence investigations into those people. But you go in, and you find that these people are not doing anything. They're just sitting around. Now they're not doing anything at home because they're not even physically being kept accountable at the job. 
Um, this is kind of a, an anecdote, but I think it says so much about how, I don't know if I've ever said this on my show before. One of the weird things that goes on uh, that I found in the FBI's building is that these people were wearing lab coats and they were the people that worked in the supply closet, the supply, whatever room that had all of our pencils and our pens and, you know, all of our uh, notebooks and whatnot. And when <laughs> these people would run around with these lab coats on that made no sense to me. And finally, I, I got to the bottom of it. I asked people, no one knew why they wore them. Apparently sometime in the late nineties, there was a budget request by these uh, folks that ran these office. And by the way, they've been there since the nineties, uh, if not longer. And they requested uniforms because their clothing that they wore to work was getting dirty because they carried boxes. Now, I want any of you that have ever worked in a warehouse or that have ever moved product around or that have been in retail and stock shelves, just want you to just have a moment and just cry for these federal employees who are getting dirty, that were getting dirty doing their job, the listed requirements of their job. In any case, they requested uniforms, and that was uh, not approved because there was no uniform allowance approved for that particular type of employee, for that particular job code. And so what did they do? They found that if they were to order lab coats embroidered with their names, then that would in fact qualify as office equipment. It was a different line item of the budget. And this goes to my point right now. They ordered those things. And then in order to prove that they were necessary, they've worn them every day since the late 90s to go to work. I don't know if they got a couple of them, but they always seemed to be clean and white. So maybe they didn't have as many problems getting dirty as they claimed. These were the same people that if I went in and asked for a battery, they'd ask how many. And I'd say, I don't know, a package of them. And they would say, well, how many do you want? I don't give out packages. And you'd say, uh, 10, and the package would have 12, and they would break off two of the batteries and only give me 10. So this is the kind of thing that goes on in our federal headquarters. In the meantime, we're spending an enormous amount of money both on upkeep and on uh, maintenance. They're air conditioning things. They're keeping the lights on in all these buildings. They're not very green. Many of them were built in the 60s and 70s when there was a huge glut of government, and they're 25% full. So who do they who do they check out? The lowest average rate of people were agriculture, the Department of Agriculture, which makes sense because they should be going outside and doing agriculture stuff. They also shouldn't be in D.C., I would say. How about Oklahoma City? How about Kansas City? How about Nebraska? How about like maybe Omaha, where there actually is agriculture? How about Texas America would be OK? But these headquarters are in D.C. where nothing gets done and there is no agriculture. Um, human and uh, what is it? A health. Uh, what is it? H.U.D. I'm trying to remember what those even stand for. GSA. I know that one. That's the General Service Administration. OPM. We mentioned earlier. SBA. We have a small business administration. They even have special agents. Go figure. The Social Security Administration. Um, some of them having only nine percent filled. And then you've got places like Commerce, DHS, Justice. Um, that's Department of Justice, State Department, Treasury. Those are those are actually more full, and they were averaging 35% capacity filled up. This is an incredible amount of waste that goes on. Uh, Ron, I think Rand Paul actually does this sort of newsletter where he puts out sort of the amount of money that we're spending on things. Ryan, you actually saw one the other day of what we were spending. We were spending $200,000 on what were we spending it on? Uh, that was to determine if male quail are more horny on cocaine. I believe they gave one hundred and seventy-five or one hundred eighty-five thousand dollars to Kentucky University to determine if male quail are more horny on cocaine. So that's what we need to know. What is the breeding habits on uh, illicit narcotics in quails, particularly male quails, because it'd probably be unethical to test it on female quails. Although, what is a female if you're a, if the federal government, right? They probably have a difficult time even knowing that those are different. And yet, almost two hundred thousand dollars spent on cocaine use on birds. This is the way that they're spending our tax dollars. In the meantime, our cities are falling apart. We've got chain locks over frozen pizzas, right? And people getting gunned down in the streets. Um, pretty atrocious, pretty awful. I actually want to move on to the next thing, which is uh, what we're going to be talking about later on today. We're going to be... Um, we're going to be talking about some of these scandals that have been going on, some of the uh, the whistleblower stuff. They're going to be covering a live hearing 
of the Oversight Committee bringing on this unknown Mr. X whistleblower, which I'm very excited to see if he's part of the IRS. I assume he worked with Gary Shapley. And then Gary Shapley is going to be testifying as well. It probably won't be very fair. I imagine that we're going to see basically some questions and some pontificating from the Republicans. And we'll probably see a lot of smears and attacks on the credibility and the character of those from the Democrat side. But we'll watch it nonetheless. We'll give you our commentary. Uh, I may have some suspendables jumping in. Let's uh, let's bring up this video, if you would, talking about Fauci. We're talking about money that's wasted. How about this video that was uh, recently? This is Jesse Waters and and uh, Rand Paul, as, as discussed, having a conversation about Anthony Fauci and his security detail. And the Dr. Fauci is getting around the clock security provided by the U.S. Marshals. That means they station someone outside his house, the limousines take him wherever he needs to go to the airport. Why, if he's not in government anymore, would he get this? So we've been hearing these rumors. He announced his retirement, and then somebody said, oh, well, he still comes into the office periodically, and he still has his security detail, and we're like, how come? He's not. He's no longer working. So we asked HHS early in the summer, we said, is he still working, and does he have this limo, and does he have a driver, and does he have a security detail? Well, HHS actually came back to us and said they haven't been paying for it since January. But then we discovered that Fox uh, did a Freedom of Information Act, and a judge forced them to say that, well, while HHS wasn't directly funding it, the U.S. Marshals were funding it. So can you imagine, we asked the government, are you funding his limo and his driver and his security detail? And they say, oh, we're not doing it. Oh, but somebody else is doing it. And then we're reimbursing them. So it's a terrible uh, example of the government lying to its representatives and to the people, but also why is a retired guy, the only retired official I know of that gets this kind of treatment is a former president. So I have no idea why this bureaucrat still has a limo driver, security detail, and we we want to know, does he still get legal representation? Because I think he may need that eventually, but he's a rich man. His wealth increased by 30% during the pandemic. I think he ought to pay for his own security detail. That seems pretty reasonable. Shouldn't he pay for his own security detail? The guy's not a government employee, although... He was making more money than the president. If people recall, he was a senior executive service member who was so senior that he was actually making more money than the top official in the United States that is elected by the people, this unelected bureaucrat, Anthony Fauci. But it does go to tell you how the shell game gets done. And we're going to see some of this stuff, I think, in the hearing. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the IRS pulling some of this back, pulling back some of the curtain on it. What we're talking about is they, they say one thing. But it's not an honest answer. They said, they asked HHS, are you the ones paying for his security detail? And they said, no, we're not. It's actually the United States Marshal Service, which you didn't ask us about, so we're not going to answer. But they had to go look into it, and they find out that, in fact, it is that uh, that U.S. Marshal Service that's paying for it. And then those hours get reimbursed, those dollar amounts get reimbursed, those hard costs get reimbursed by HHS. So HHS is paying for it. They're just giving it to another government agency. This shell game is happening in many ways. In fact, our, our national debt is the same way. Uh, we did an entire episode on this. Many of you may recall that uh, we did a whole episode that a, a, a huge percentage, like 22 or 24% of our $32 trillion in debt is actually owed to the American people in the form of IOUs taking money from Social Security. 
So all of you are throwing money into Social Security, expecting that, in fact, you're going to be, you know, getting this money back out at some point in time. And in the meantime, the federal government is borrowing it so they can give money to Ukraine and fund Anthony Fauci's security detail, of all things. It's uh, it's sort of illogical. Uh, and yet that is the nature of our federal government in so many ways. I'm going to switch over here and read another article here because there's this is the next thing that's coming up. And this is where we're going to be going this afternoon with this uh, with this hearing. So. This is an exclusive that was written uh, by Daily Caller. This is about a week old, but it's going to tie into a lot of the stuff we're talking about. Coming from July 13th, uh, James Lynch and uh, Diana Glebova. It says an exclusive Hunter Biden worked to secure a U.S. visa for Ukrainian oligarch allegedly involved in the suspected bribery scheme. No shocker to us that he was, in fact, trying to get a, a specialized visa on short notice for a visit for the uh, founder of Burisma. That's the energy firm that he was getting paid almost $85,000 a month working for and allegedly was involved in a $5 million bribery scheme. So you're hearing this. Well, he was also so that what, what that tells you is that there are, in fact, hard documents that are showing that he tried to get this visa. You have to file paperwork. You have to try and push it. And of course, he's using his, his father's influence during that time. Uh, in the meantime, he's not registered under Farah, which is what they went after. Uh, some of these other folks, they went after, I think, Michael Flynn and some others. They, uh, they went after uh, Tara Reid, who is now in Russia running from the U.S. government because they had claimed that they were going to go after her for a FARA violation. And I've actually sat down with the FARA office. I think I did so uh, at the end of either 2017 or the beginning of 2018 and asked them if we could do prosecution because we had some people that were definitely not registered foreign agents that were working on behalf of the of foreign governments. And that's what that law says. And, and, and the prosecutors there told me in no uncertain terms that under the condition of FARA, the only thing that they ever do is they issue sternly worded letters. Sternly worded letters. And if those were get thrown away, then the next thing they do is they issue a second sternly worded letter. And if that is ignored, they will do yet a third sternly worded letter. The only thing that they do when they are, in fact, dealing with fair violations is sternly worded letters and more sternly worded letters. And if those things are ignored, if they are what they call put into the round file, which is your trash can for those of you who don't work in government and have never seen the round file, that's when you crumple something up and, and send it in there with a three-point alley-oop shot. So when you do such a thing and your 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 um, you know partner who sits in the desk next to you has to put it back in because you missed because you're a fed <laughs> and your aim is off, you they don't do anything. They just leave you alone. They just keep sending these letters until nothing, until nothing happens. And so that should be troubling to all of us. And yet here we're going to hear, um, I don't know if I sent this one over to you, but the Washington Times, uh, Ryan actually just reported that an FBI agent who is now retired also was confirming that this stuff was going on, okay? An FBI agent confirmed that the IRS whistleblower testimony, which we should be seeing more of today, are in fact legit. The agent didn't divulge the name, uh, said that the FBI tipped off the Secret Service. This stuff is, is truly crazy. Imagine this. We are going after our current um, uh, frontrunner in the Republican primary, and the former president of the United States taking his phones, claiming that he somehow incited a riot that they called an insurrection. And in the meantime, we've got the FBI tipping off Secret Service, who is tipping off the subject of an investigation. Here's uh, James Comer saying, as a result of the change in plans, the IRS and the FBI criminal investigators never got to interview Hunter Biden as part of the investigation. That was supposed to take place in December of 2020, before January 6th. And so you can imagine why they are so hot to trot and why they are so aggressively going after uh, someone like President Trump, they have to keep the focus on a January 6th because in the meantime, we've got the sitting president's son like getting tipped off by his Secret Service detail. Why the heck did he have one of those? That's another good question. But being protected and, and handled in such a way that um, 
you know, he's a 53-year-old man that's being treated like a toddler, protected from the FBI. It'd be nice if we all had that kind of protections, I have to say. It would be awfully nice to know that the FBI had to go through another government agency and the other government agency would be able to tell you whether or not that, uh, that you were actually be able to interview. So we are going to be hearing from these whistleblowers. Like I said, former special, I guess he's still a special agent with the IRS, Jerry, uh, Gary Shapley. And this other agent identified as Mr. X. Uh, it sounds like we have another suspendable coming into the ranks right now, folks. So don't be surprised when we see that. Um, they're going to be testifying in front of, they said ways and means in this thing, but... Uh, I think that's actually going to be the House Oversight Committee. In any case, it's pretty troubling. We're seeing uh, Comer again saying that the Justice Department's efforts to cover up the Bidens reveals this two-tiered system of justice that sickens the American people. And I'm going to go back to it. We already said it once. This two tiers are rural. America gets one treatment. In fact, many of the people that we've seen in the... Um, sort of in the experience of the January 6th prosecutions have been people who have lived in small towns, who have lived in rural America, who have not had anything to do with uh, so much of these, you know, urban areas. They they came in because they thought they were going to go out and see the Capitol. They were going to listen to the president speak. And then many of them are, are wrapped up in these arrest warrants now for walking around, for protesting, which should have been at the very, at the very most, I would say, charged in Superior Court, which is the local version of D.C. court instead of the federal courts. And instead, they're being hammered with felonies and people who didn't even go inside the building are getting hit with seditious conspiracy trees and, um, you know, treasonous tr charges and, and sentenced to 18 plus years like Stuart Rhodes. And he may be a jerk. I don't know anything about Stuart Rhodes as a person, but I know that 18 years and the government is now actually petitioning. They are actually going to appeal the 18 year sentence that was handed down and try to get it longer for someone who was unarmed and essentially what, like made them look bad. Pretty incredible stuff. Uh, more stuff over here from the House Oversight Committee talking about the special agents that uh, that have come forward. These are kind of the takeaways they have on here. It says part of the criminal investigation, the Hunter Biden, there were multiple witness interviews planned for a December 8th of 2020. So those are the specifics. Uh, they were assigned to interview Hunter Biden on the evening of the 7th. Shapley and the FBI supervisory special agent, who has also come forward and notified people that this, this actually happened. He's confirmed this date. Uh, learned that the FBI headquarters had notified Secret Service headquarters about the planned interview with Hunter Biden. Again, I have no idea why. We keep getting told that Hunter Biden is a private citizen, has nothing to do with government, and yet he's got this Secret Service uh, protection squad that's on him, even though I guess he was the president-elect's son, but he's a grown man who served in the military despite his cocaine habit. Uh, they said they additionally learned that the Biden transition team was notified about the planned interview, so they not only told the incoming president, who had no official statute or... Um, no official standing at that time, but they told the son of the incoming president. Just shocking stuff because the Secret Service seems all in on this. Uh, it was not the original plan that the case agents had. It frustrated their investigation efforts because they found, because uh, people who found out about the story, you know, that they were going to do this, they had no need to know. And therefore, sometimes you need to go into these things without anyone understanding that you're going to ask certain questions or that you're even going to show up and you want to kind of catch them on surprise. That is a, a useful law enforcement technique. And it was completely frustrated in this case. Uh, it says here that the former FBI supervisory special agent told the committee investigators he'd never been told to wait outside to contact the subject. What that means is they actually were told they couldn't go into the residence until Hunter Biden reached out to them. They were outside and waiting and were not allowed in. This is all as a result of this tip, this heads up that they weren't. That's, that's totally uncommon and totally bizarre. Uh, and these actions resulted in them never actually interviewing Hunter Biden in 2020. We keep getting told that everything is fair and on the up and up, but in fact, it's not. So you'll see here, Ryan's throwing up some of these uh, pieces here. This is the committee hearing that's going to be ha taking place later on today. We will be live streaming it again. It starts at 1 Eastern time. That's going to be 12 Central time uh, in Texas, America. 
just just kind of wild. Like I say, the, the biggest thing here is that we're going to learn the identity of this uh, this Mr. X. And um, and then I want to bring up this sort of last piece here as we kind of close out, because what is our federal government doing? And Ryan, if you'll throw up some of these pieces from the FBI's collaboration with a compromised Ukrainian intelligence agency meant to censor American speech. This is a, a report coming out of the Weaponization Committee. This is the one uh, Jim Jordan is running that we've been on and that my friends have been in front of. <laughs> I'm just going to have you guys look at these graphics real quick. If you pull up the, the second graphic there showing the FSB, there's in fact, uh, it's on page one at the bottom of page one. It says on February 15th, 2023, as part of the investigation of the government's role in censoring lawful speech. There you go. This is the executive summary, folks, if you're watching on the Rumble channel. You're seeing here kind of a, uh, a, a graphic. And what it tells us is, is that the Weaponization Committee was able to determine that the Russian FSB, which is their internal intelligence service, was able to infiltrate this, this organization, the Ukrainian intelligence service called the SBU. Now, that makes a lot of sense for those of us that understand that there are so many ties between Russians and Ukrainians, that they uh, they share language and heritage, that they're like almost cousin nations. And then the SBU was able to request that the FBI in the United States take down certain posts that they believed were problematic. The FBI obliged since they had all these things that we saw in the Twitter files, but they went to Google, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and others and asked that Americans have their posts removed and essentially were doing so on behalf of the Russian government, the Russian infiltrators. Now, they've been trying to root these things out, but we're talking about the uh, the Security Service of Ukraine, also known as the SBU, like I said, infiltrated by FSB, who are very capable foreign operators, getting basically the ability to shut down and censor Americans under the guise that they were spreading Russian disinformation when in fact they were actually um, getting rid of the posts that were not pro-Russian. So the the FBI being used in this way is just, it's only possible because of this weaponized and political sort of, um, the, the political nature of the FBI at this point, <laughs> they're actually finding themselves as stooges and tools of the Russian government as pointed out by the weaponization committee. All of this stuff should just blow your minds. This is what happens when a government agency gets involved in foreign politics that it has no business getting involved in and when it steps over the bounds of the First Amendment. When it steps over those things, we get the predictable, tyrannical censorship. And there's never been somebody who's been on the side of censorship that was really uh, looked favorably upon in history. You can look back and see great examples of censorship, and they go all the way back uh, into into the European history, whether it be the uh, 18th, 19th, and 20th century. Not very good examples. You can also look at more recent events, like what goes on in China, what's happened when they were trying to shut down the internet over the, the Arab Spring. Like The bad guys are the ones who are in favor of shutting down speech. The good guys, generally speaking, even if they're fascist idiots like the people that you see or so-called fascists, like Patriot Front, those people can march around. As someone pointed out on my Twitter feed the other day, we've got these Patriot Front that the government keeps telling us might be these you know horrible white supremacists and they're the, the most dangerous thing that's going on in America. Can anyone tell me any violence that Patriot Front has been involved in? Other than looking like a, an AstroTurf fed op, is there any violence that we've seen these guys do? And yet the FBI is dedicating resources to them and probably infiltrated them pretty dramatically. They were walking around in Austin, Texas two days ago. And, you know, did they go out there and beat up Jews? Were they fighting black people and burning black businesses? Were they breaking the windows of, of Jewish businesses like the Nazis? Or were they marching around looking like clowns? It's a big distraction because we are experiencing these two different versions of America. There's a messaging narrative, and then there's what you actually experience. So 
Um, I think that's going to pretty much get us close to the end of this one today, folks. There's a, there's an awful lot going on, and we're going to, like I said, we're going to do another couple hours in front of this out this hearing from the Oversight Committee. So by all means, join us there and come in and out. Uh, it'll be streamed again, I think, on Twitter as well. But um, Two Americas, the tale of Two Americas. I hope that you are in the one that is safe. I hope that you guys are in a, in a good place and uh, that you are actually seeing through this sort of nonsense. You're knowing that this, this federal government is wasting our money on uh, quail research and empty headquarters when they should be addressing the basic sort of kitchen table issues of making sure you can go buy Eggo waffles without a locked up door. That would be a nice thing for our feds to do. Or they could just get out of the way altogether and give the money to the local authorities. I'd be down with that as well. Um, let's go ahead and bring up a, uh, a five-star review. Uh, Ryan, we had one of those brought up, I think, earlier. This was uh, from, here it is. This is from uh, Great American is what the, the title is. It's by Ask Wild. That might be our friend Cookie over there. It just said, thanks for all you do. Just a nice short one going back to uh, June of 22. Uh, folks, you've been listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, and we stream this live every day, or every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, rather, from Liberty Hill, Texas. Don't forget to like the video that we have on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. You can share the link to today's show, including some of the mess that we had on the uh, technical difficulties. And uh, you can also share it anywhere on your favorite social media platforms. You can also hear it anywhere that you get your podcasts. The show grows because of listeners like you, and we are very appreciative, like that five-star review we just heard from Ask Wyo, which I assume is Ask Wyoming. Um I do want to say thanks to the hard work and skill and uh, sort of the ability to adapt on the fly of my buddy, Ryan Matta. You can follow him at Ryan, M-A-T-T-A, Ryan Matta Media on Twitter or Ryan Matta on True Social. And uh, we'll say thanks again for the opening theme, which is composed and performed by my very talented brother, Casey Serafin. Folks, we will see you a little bit later on for this weaponization of the federal government being uh, discussed by the House Oversight Committee. We'll see you in just a couple hours. Uh, thanks for sticking with us today. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter and True Social at Kyle Serafin.